to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity management, disaster planning, emergency response, resiliency, crisis communications, and anything that falls within those fields or anything that those fields touch. And I'd like to remind everyone, if there is a specific topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, uh, on the Voice America page for Preparing for the Unexpected, there is a button underneath the graphic that says uh, something to the effect of send email uh, to the host or contact host or something like that. Feel free, you know, send me an email uh, that says you'd like to hear a specific topic or you'd like to hear a certain person on the show. I can try and track them down or we'll see and make arrangements of getting you on the show to talk about the subject. I do respond to all emails I get, so don't be afraid to uh, send any comments along, good and bad, you know, just in case. I'd like to remind everyone as well that I will be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, May 29th to the 30th. Uh, We were there last year, and we've had some great speakers from that conference uh, on the show, and I hope to be able to do that again this year. Today, um, I've been waiting to finally get this subject on air I wanted to talk about it for a while, and I finally nailed down the person I was uh, tracking. (laughs) Uh, My guest today, he and I worked together, um, I guess it would be about eight, nine years ago, uh, for a brief period of time at my very first uh, contract role when I left the full-time realm and became self-employed. And he and I worked together at the same location in Waterloo, uh, Ontario, and uh, so he's just down the road from me. So we're going to talk about information security, and I'd like to welcome to the show uh, security expert Jason Maynard. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. It's my pleasure. Like I said, I've been trying to track you down and get you on the show, and our, our schedule's finally synced up today. Yeah, it was almost like a stalking thing, but it, it did work out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're not going to edit that out. I'm going to leave that in. Uh, <laughs> um, Jason, can you give us, uh, our listeners, a little bit uh, of history of yourself, you know, a little biography? Here, Here's what, uh, you know, here's who you are, how you got into security and what you do. Sure. Um, so I've been in IT for a long time. Uh, we don't need to get into dates, but uh, for a very long time. And, and when I started my career, it was really focused on the system side, Um Throughout that, I, I would continue to evolve, and it went from systems to network to storage, virtualization. So I got a good handle of a lot of different technologies over a period of time. Um, all of that had a security component with it, um, and, uh, and it was something that was very dear uh, to, to me. I was very uh, intrigued about the security aspect. It wasn't about you know deploying a desktop with administrative access. It was trying to deploy an asset with as much controls in place to allow the user to do what they needed to do, but do it in a secure manner. Um, And that goes back many years. 
Um, throughout that time, I've had the opportunity to work in a variety of roles from, you know, systems uh, engineer to network engineer to uh, infrastructure architect to uh, now security. So security I've been focused on for probably about 10 years where it's become more of a core competency within uh, uh, the things that I do. Um, and I've worked as an end user, so I've worked for companies, um, helping them achieve the goals that they, they had outlined, as well as a partner integrator. So I got uh, experience of how um, the partner engages the customer and bridges the gap between the manufacturer. And then finally, uh, at the manufacturer now. So today I'm at a manufacturer and I'm solely 100% focused on, on security. Great. Well, thanks very much. And like I said, I'm glad to finally have you on the show. So I, I know there's quite a few subjects uh, we want to touch base on today, um, but can you kind of give us just a quick overview of what a you know an organization security program is, you know, what it would be responsible for, and then we'll get into some of the, these really meaty stuff that we got here. Sure. So uh, today my focus is on the defensive side. So it's really about um, looking at the organization's uh, current security program and trying to help them develop the defensive capabilities that required to help meet some of those objectives. Um, and that could include, uh, you know, not only technology, but people and process, all, all core tenants of, of a good program. But if you look at the definition, um, for example, if you look at SANS, which is the leader in, in security training, um, they, they, they call it out as information security refers to process and methodologies which are designed to implement and protect print, electronic, and other forms of confidential and private and sensitive information. Um, and, and the idea here is to, to, you know, restrict unauthorized access, use, misuse, or disclosure, destruction, modification, or disruption, right? So essentially, it's putting security wrapper around the things that are important to the business. Um, so there's multiple techniques to, you know, meet these objectives. Um, and, uh, and like I said, it's not just technology, right? It's people and problems. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the components could be centered around uh, people themselves, right? Which are, tend to be more of the, the weakest link. Yeah, a lot of people do. It's just like yeah, um, you know, when they think of uh, disasters, you know, and recovery, it's IT, and it's so much more than that. And the same thing with security. I agree with you. So, why do organizations need a security program? I know you talked about it, but I know there's a subject you want to touch on, and that would be the threats. Yeah, so threats are certainly, and they come in multiple forms, and, and I'm sure we'll get there, right, uh, as we continue the conversation. Um, but but really, the goal here is to create and implement uh, security practices that protect the business, right? Um, so this includes not only the business processes, right, which are core, but also the IT assets. The, the area that we, we haven't really focused on, Alex, is, is the operational environment. That seems to be a gap. So if, and when, when I say operational environments, I'm talking about, you know, manufacturing, uh, utilities, the field locations, oil and gas, right? But these are all mm-hmm. part of that security program, and it needs to be fluid. It needs to be organic, right? There's never really an end state to the program itself. Well, that's right. Your threats change, right, over time, and some hopefully go away, but new ones crop up. You bet. So what what kind of um, security attacks are out there? I know there's, you know, we hear all kinds of things in the, the news. Every day there's something. 
you know, uh, so it, it's not just I've got your data. You know, there's different ways of getting it. So there's got to be different kinds of attacks to get it. Can you kind of give us an overview of all of those? You bet. Um, so, the, you know, they come in multiple forms, right? Um, so you, you've got physical or, or site-based attacks. Um, for example, somebody tailgating and walking into an organization behind you. You know how that, you've probably seen that in your, your uh, real life, right? Where, you yeah. know, somebody's tailgating you as you come in, you badge in. They, they don't badge in because you've already done it. And most people, right, will let that individual in and won't ask them for identification and validation of who they are. Um, and then mm-hmm. anything can happen once, once they're inside. Um, from other types of attacks could be things like phishing, right? Where I send you an email and uh, it's fairly sophisticated in the sense that it looks like a legitimate individual that sent you this. Um, and it might be asking for something as, you know, you've got to pay this invoice, uh, you know, it's urgent, you're, you're going to you know, go into default or something like that. And it might not be for a large amount of money, and you click the spreadsheet that's attached to the email, and and then that happens, right? Mm-hmm. We have things like business email compromise, and 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 so that's where you know you're starting to look at compromising um, elements within email that makes you look more like an individual from an organization. So something as simple as uh, Jason at gmail.com, that may be something very familiar to everyone in the organization and, and maybe fairly well trusted, right? Um, for example, but it could, I could actually create a domain called Gmail, maybe for example, right? Uh, and instead of an I, it's a one. And now it's Jason at Gmail and it looks almost like the real one, right? People don't scrutinize email. Uh, very well, right? And I can now mm-hmm. portray that I am somebody from that organization as Jason and say, you know what, I need or I'm authorizing you to do X, Y, and Z, and, and someone may take action um, there. But, it, but there, you know, uh, mainstream stuff that we've heard, right, is things like malware. So, oh, um, that's, that's something in the news all the time. You hear this one. Yeah. Well, actually, I think I heard something today uh, about malware. Yeah, so, it, and what's interesting, Alex, is, is that for, you know, for a long time, we've been always looking at, you know, the adversary and how much revenue um, they generate. So, and that's only, you know, revenue that we know that they generated by companies that have paid out, right? So, I think, you know, a couple a year ago or whatever, I think they were, it was suggested around a billion-dollar industry. So, these guys are sophisticated. They've got resources. They've got um, people in place. Um, to build this, they go through software development life cycle, right? Uh, they have support for um, the products they build, right? And allow the adversary to leverage to make money. Um, but we never really talk about the cost to the business itself, right? So if you think of something, I'm not sure, Alex, did you hear about Not Pietcha last year? The, it was a fairly uh, large scale attack that took place. It kind of rings a bell. Can you kind of tell us what that was? Yeah. So what's interesting in this one is, and and, and I'll just break down this one because people don't realize the the true cost. Um, I think Mm -hmm. if you're in the security industry, you've got a good idea. But I think if you're not really in the security industry, you might say, and I hear this a lot, right, is we're too small, right? No, we're not a bank. Um, You know what? Everybody's a target. If you have data, um, 
somebody may want something from you, right? Or if you have intellectual mm-hmm. property uh, or um, personal identifiable information, again, all data, um, somebody, you may be a target because of that. Um, it might even be because of a business relationship, but not Pietro was pretty exciting from, uh, you know, a security researcher perspective. So in April 2017, this exploit was leaked um, allegedly from the NSA, and there was a group called Shadow Brokers, and they released this in April of 2017. And the April 2017 is key here, because this took advantage of a vulnerability within Microsoft. But Microsoft released patches for this March 14th of that same year, right? Okay. So what does that mean? That means that if you went and patched your systems as of March 14th, even though this leak happened about a month later, you would not have been prone to the attack, okay? So that tells us a little bit about system hygiene and some of the concerns there. Now, um, the how, again, this is getting a little technical, but it is interesting. The how was is that the adversary took advantage of the vulnerability within Microsoft and got a foothold within the organization, now, what was really clever in this is um, that once they did get a foothold, they had uh, the ability to harvest credentials out of memory and then expand that footprint laterally to assets, even if they were patched, because now they're using credentials that they have stolen or harvested from memory itself, from the systems that, that were vulnerable. So you only needed one vulnerable system and they got a foothold, they were able then to harvest more credentials and, and move laterally, even if you are a patch. So, again, it just shows the importance of, of, of system hygiene and making sure that we're getting out and we're patching systems and not only, you know, internet-facing systems, but you might want to make sure that even, you know, the user systems are being patched because when they move off-premise, they might be um, at risk. So that that's so, pretty complex. So does does that mean like the the criminals because that's really what they are, right? Hackers and criminals out there are getting more more and more complex or sophisticated. Well, they're certainly at the getting, end? Yeah, they, they they exactly. Remember, I I mentioned that they're well funded, right? Because there's a lot of money there, and they go through software development life cycle, and they test against security technologies. Um, and and when you look at Napietia, um. This one was meant to do harm. So it wasn't really meant to generate revenue back. And, and there's a great article on Wired about this. But this one, if you look at some of the costs that were, uh, that were reported, there was a pharmaceutical company um, called Merck, right? M-E-R-C-K. Yeah. And, and they say roughly $870 million. That's what it cost them. And then if wow. I go down, right? Yeah, significant, right? That's one company. And then you go down, there's another company, uh, $400 million. There's a French construction company, $384 million. Danish shipping company, $300 million, right? There's $188 million. And then uh, finally, $129 million uh, cost of that breach just because of the extent of damage that this, this piece of malware caused. Um, you don't hear about that. What I found amazing is, you know, you go to mainstream media, these numbers weren't being published, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And well, nobody wants and what, that information out there, right? Maybe, right? But it's funny because today, if you, 
when, when, Alex, if I go back when we worked together, you might have seen one to three breaches a year, right? That were, that were mainstream media, right? That hit the news and everybody knew about it. Now right. you can look at, at it. We're roughly, you know, three to five a week where there is something, you know, you see that a large uh, social media company, you know, hacked 50 million user accounts, right? Um, and it's almost like we've come immune to it, right? We know it's going to happen. It's going to be large at scale and we, we've moved on. But um, so, this one, the White uh, well, House actually... actually- Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alex. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, I was just going to say that the White House estimated that not Pietja alone cost uh, roughly $10 billion. $10 billion? $10 billion. That's with a B, folks. That's not with an M. Wow. And that is, now, is that based on what we know or what, you know, is the, the sum higher for things that, you know, didn't get reported? Well, it, it, it would be, so this is an estimate that, that the White House has put together. I don't know the full details around how they came up with the estimate, but there is right. numbers of those companies that I've mentioned earlier that were public. So I'm sure they were part of that number. Um, and then there must be a bunch of other companies that weren't included in this list. Um, but you're right. That I think you've nailed it, right? Those are the ones that are reporting. So do we ever know the true damage or extent of, of a breach? Probably not. Right. But we know it's high. Wow. We've come to the end of our first segment. Um, We'll be right back. We're talking with Jason Maynard about information security and all the different threats that are out there. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you or somebody you love is dealing with an addiction to alcohol or drugs, you may be looking for all kinds of answers. Let Recovery Radio with host Zach Crouch be your guide. Zach Crouch will speak with experts and share personal stories of addiction recovery. You'll also learn what's beyond the surface of mental health, root causes of addiction, and more. Most importantly, we'll explore the solutions and treatments to get you back on track. Recovery Radio. New episodes are available every Friday on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com again that's jeff spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com voice america is where you are and where you want to be join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We're talking about information security with information security expert uh, Jason Maynard. And uh, Jason, uh, in our first segment, you were giving us, uh, started to give us some examples of some of the threats that are out there. Um, and I had a, you were talking about malware, and I had a question about this one. You know, how does a, a regular Joe like me, you know, recognize uh, malware? You know, does it relate back to what you were saying about phishing? Or, you know, how do I get infected? Because you said anybody can, right? So how do we, how do we recognize that? Yeah, so this one's interesting because if you look at malware, malware comes in many, many forms, right? So if I'm a very stealthy adversary and I'm using you, your asset to pivot uh, further within the organization, I might use malware to get onto your system, but it, it might be very difficult for you to determine that it was there, right? Maybe you have technologies in place to help you. Uh, let's hope you do. And we could talk about those as we, as we move along. But it might be something that is very hard for you to detect, right? So cybersecurity awareness is, is key and is going to help you reduce the, the threat vector there. Um, ransomware, for example, is in your face, right? I've always said that if ransomware is there, it, it, there's a screen that pops up and says, you know, your drive is encrypted and you've got to pay a certain amount of Bitcoins over a period of time, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. And the adversary is getting clever, right? They're trying to embed themselves in backups. They're trying to um, coax or coach you through uh, why you want to pay because they, they're going to release information about you. Um, but it's ransomware and it's in your face and you know what's happened. Unfortunately, it's, it's at a stage where it's probably damaging, right? Um, either you pay, mm-hmm. which everyone suggests you should never. Um, but again, I have my thoughts around some of that. And then... Um, you know, or you pay and you get your data back or you have really good backups and it's not entrenched. So there are things that you can do, right? The stuff like endpoint protection and making sure that's on, email security. When you talk home users, it might be a little bit, uh, uh, a little more difficult because they're not as secure. And that's always a risk too, is when that asset is in the fortified environment, your corporate network, and it goes home. And this is a pet peeve of mine, right? That that asset goes home and plugs into a network that's wide open and all it has is antivirus. Um, but you can look for things, right? So you can look for how those emails are. Validate that the email is the individual. If there's attachments there. Be very careful about attachments that you click on. Preferably don't mm-hmm. click on any of them, right? But sometimes you, you need to do that for business purposes. 
Um, but there are things that you can do. It's more being aware of what you're doing on the internet, right? The sites that you go to, the files that you download, the files that you click in attachments, the links that you click in email, for example. Because email is still the number one vector mm-hmm. when it comes to, to compromise, right? Do you think that, uh, you know, with, with those phishing emails that uh, me as an individual sitting here at home is more susceptible to not paying attention than I am as an employee within an organization who should have policies? Or is it kind of the same? The same thing can happen to either one. It, 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 I, I would say the home user is more susceptible only because, well, there's a couple reasons, right? If you don't work for an organization and you're not on systems, right, you may not have cyber security awareness programs uh, that are educating you. Uh, in a corporation, you, you don't have the, you, you have technologies that are help mitigating the risk, right? So, for example, mm-hmm. a threat comes in, you have an email security device that's scrutinizing that attachment before it gets to you. So, in a lot of cases, but before it gets to you, it, a lot of that noise is gone, right? Um, right? The home user, however, just doesn't have that same level of protection, right? Because they just don't have the, the dollars to, to defend, nor, nor the means. Like I've always said, people get into a car, they drive the car. They don't want to know how it works, right? They couldn't care less. Right. They just want it to work. And same with your computer, right? They don't want to have to, you know, use their mouse and go over a link that says, click me, right? And find out, right? Say, for example, it's a banking site that's trying to, an adversary, you know, polish the email, looks like your bank, sends you a message, and it's got links in that message. Well, a very simple tactic that the user could do is just move their mouse over the link before clicking it and just see if that link actually aligns to the corporation. So if it's, for example, uh, Bank of America, right, then it mm-hmm. should say in that probably Bank of America, da-da-da-da-da, right, not badguys.com, da-da-da-da-da, right? <laughs> so you can do little things, you can do little things like that. But you just got to be careful that what you click on, you want to make sure it's legitimate. It's a trusted source that you're getting the information from. But it's, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. So people really need to understand that if they are working at a place that has, you know, all these safeguards in place and all these policies in place, that, you know, what they shouldn't do at work, they shouldn't do at home either. Well, it, it, and, and typically, if it's a corporate asset, that, that those are the rules of the engagement of that device, yeah. right? Is, yeah. Right? That, that policy follows you everywhere. Uh, I think the challenge is, is that organizations are opening their doors more, right? So they're saying, bring your own device. Now, they're trying to put a security wrapper around that, or the device goes home. And I said this earlier, it was defended against these you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of technology defending that asset. Now it goes home and it's plugged right into the internet directly and it doesn't have yeah. the same levels of security on it. So me as an adversary, if I really wanted to get in, maybe I go to Facebook, I, I learn a little bit about people, LinkedIn, learn about their jobs, and maybe I friend you on Facebook, for example, and I start to build a relationship there in hopes that you take that asset home at some point in time and I can convince you to click on something somewhere to compromise your mm-hmm. asset. And then when you get back into the organization, I'm already in there because I'm going to make an outbound connection through a trusted port um, back to me. And if I'm not a known command and control or known bad guy, then you're going to connect to me. And now I'm connected to that device while it's inside the organization. You know, you know, I've never got that why people just, you know, accept all these friend requests 
if I don't know you, I'm not accepting it. So I don't know why people do that. But, oh, well, that's just me. Uh, so, okay, yeah. so that was m- malware. Let, let's get to, uh, you know, I know you've got a half a dozen other uh, interesting threats here. This one, I'm not sure what it is. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing it. What's crypto mining? So crypto mining is, is, um, is the ability to mine cryptocurrency, right? So you've heard about, you know, things like Bitcoin or Litecoin, um, mm-hmm. these cryptocurrency. Well, today what they use is there's complex algorithms that, that are required and there's um, special processing that, that you need in order to mine cryptocurrency. And, and so if you want to, you can help participate in mining cryptocurrency. And then when you do participate, you um, typically get rewarded uh, with a, a Bitcoin, for example, right? And but the challenge with that today is, is that the hashing algorithms that are used to, to do this um, and the cooling costs, the specialized equipment usually outweigh the benefits. So meaning that if I was to go ahead and invest in this and this is something you can do legally, right, invest mm-hmm. in this and participate in in mining cryptocurrency, um, then um uh, it, it, it's moot at that point, or I may even lose some money, right? At least today, because the cost of those other elements outweigh the cost of uh, of that that reward. So what's interesting is we talked about ransomware. Ransomware is something in your face, and you know it's there. Well, mm-hmm. the problem with ransomware is is that you know it's there, and so does every security company. And the moment it happens, now the security companies are building defensive technologies, and now that ransomware is not spreading as far reaching as it once was. You're not drawing in the same level of revenue. And now you've got to go back to the drawing table and, and, and get your uh, team together and, and build new capabilities, right? And that's mm-hmm. costly. So now what, I, what, what we're seeing is, is that the adversary is going out and saying, I either build a program um, and then uh, in that program, I can actually have in my end user license agreement the ability to use unused resources to do crypto mining. And nobody reads that big, long end user license agreement. I mean, I've never read one end to end. I'm not sure about you, Alex. Uh, no. But, <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that would be a long, uh, you, know, a, 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 you know, almost a day worth of effort, I think, uh, how big they are. So people accept it and, and they install the application. And, and now it's going to run uh, additional CPU memory um, from, your, from your asset. And, um, and then what it does is reduce the life of the product, right? Because it runs hotter, runs longer, runs faster, and it becomes unusable. So for corporations, you might think, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that life of that hardware might not last as long as you wanted it to. The user might not be as productive because the machine or asset's slower. Um, not to mention, you don't know what's happening, right? Which is it always something that's nerve-wracking. Uh, so, um, and, and we're seeing, even if you go to a website, you go to certain websites, they're actually using your, while you're on the website, they're using processing power to, to mine uh, cryptocurrency. And if you do that at large scale, you can make money at it because now you're not investing in the hardware. You're just leveraging mm-hmm. people. You're almost, it's deceptive, I would, would say, right? Because most people would probably say no if they knew that the application was doing that. 
But that, that's something that we're seeing a lot of, right? Because now it's recurring revenue. I've got, it's almost like a bunch of bots running all over the world and they're mining cryptocurrency and I'm benefiting from that. Wow. It's, that's so sophisticated. <laughs> like it's hard to believe how sophisticated the, you know, the, these criminals are getting. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they have, like I said, they have the defensive capabilities in their lab environments that they're testing against before they even go to market with some of this stuff. So they're, they're testing like, like we would in project and program management, things like that, you know, UAT testing or quality assurance testing. They're actually doing that before they send this stuff out. Yeah, the software development lifecycle on the adversary side. Who'd imagine, wow. right? And, and well, they're well-funded, right? Because there's a lot of money to be, to be made. That almost sounds like it's a legitimate business for them. You know, they're going you through the actually, SDLC. It is. And in some countries, that they're, that, you know, there's probably laws that allow them to do a lot more of this. But you can, you can very quickly go and Google, you know, uh, you know, a certain number of credit card uh, or how do I get uh, malware? And you can actually purchase services where if it isn't functioning or working, you actually have a support line that you can call and have a conversation with someone to help you through it. So it's, it's definitely come a long way from script kiddies, people in their basement or garage, right? You know, building right. something and seeing, seeing, you know, the virus go out and take down a network, right? That, that, that never generates revenue, and, and you see a lot less of that. What you're now seeing is sophistication, which is well-funded, um, and now they're going out and they're actually created a business, right? Although wow. uh, not legal, but it is a business nonetheless. And they're generating revenue. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it kind of makes me scared to even turn my computer on. <laughs> um, so let's move to another one. Um, what is USB or unsanctioned device? What's that? Well, how many times do you go to a conference, Alex? You probably go at least once a year, right? Yeah, a couple of times a year, yeah. Yeah, and when you go there, I bet you you see USB keys everywhere, right? And it's got the logo of the company on there, and, you know, you're probably going, ooh, you know, USB keys, <laughs> and you're collecting them, right? Yeah, So So there was a, a company, and I might not have the num- uh, numbers nailed, nailed down completely, but um, they did a test, right? And so what they did was they took 100 USB keys, right? The, the problem with USB, though, it doesn't scale, but what they did was is they went out and they had 100 USB keys and they went to a conference and this happened to be a security conference. So this should really open people's eyes. And they went around and distributed these 100 USB keys. And sometimes they would just put them in the bag. You know, you have the big bag and you're walking around, you're feeling good about all the goodies you're collecting. It's almost like Halloween for geeks, right? <laughs> but yeah, but you... You walk around and you collect, but they were dropping them in the backs of people's bags, right? And again, they couldn't do anything malicious, and, and nor would they. Um, so what they did was, they if you plugged it in, it would make a connection back that gave them a little bit of information, right? Like IP addressing, um, uh, so they could tie in some geo information. There might be some agent information around uh, how you connected. Um, but the idea was is that they distributed 100 of these, and what they found was if you put it in the bathroom all by itself on the, on the actual uh, vanity, nobody would touch it. But if you put a piece of paper or a book, people seem to collect them, right? 
I don't know why, but that, that was something that they found interesting. But Alex, how many of that hundred do you think were actually plugged in and connected? And remember, I'll, this is I'll a say a high number. number. This I'll is say a, a high number. number. Do, you, do, do you want to take a guess? Yeah, I'm going to say a high number. Let's say uh, 75%. And that is high, right? That is that is pretty high. If if you look at, you know, if, if you're calling 100 customers and 75 of them called you back, you'd be like, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> they saw something like 116 or 166. I don't know the exact number. And you might think, well, wait a minute, Jason. You just told me there was 100 of them. How could you possibly get 116 or 166, whatever the number was, connected back to you. Well, what are USB keys? They're shareable, right? So, so they were I dropped using it on multiple devices. Yeah, or multiple devices, exactly. Right? So, wow. um, and that's at a security conference. So as an adversary or an attacker, I can very quickly use USB keys. For example, if I wanted to get into an operational environment, um, the I might what I might do is go to a field location where I know engineers go in and support that that uh, facility, and maybe I drive up to the gate and I drop a nice USB key at the gate, right? And as the field engineers walk in, somebody looks down, sees the USB key, and they go woohoo, right? I found yeah. a look at eight gig USB key, and they'll take that and then they'll plug it in, and, and bad can start from there, right? So it, it, it's something that we do see. Um, Unsanctioned devices is something like um, uh, if I go into a, an organization, a corporate environment, and I can plug in my corporate asset, right, and it should work. A lot of organizations still today, I can still walk in with any app, uh, asset and plug it into the network and get an IP address and I'm on their network. So I could take my computer or laptop from home, for example, right, and I'm not encouraging this. This is bad, right? But it could be infected with all kinds of stuff, but I love it, right? It's my favorite computer. And I come in and I plug it in as well as I plug in my corporate asset and I just use it to do other things, right? While I'm at work, well, now it's plugged and on the, plugged in and on the network and reaching outbound and it might be used as a lateral or a, 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 to pivot from to, to move into the rest of the organization. So that's what I mean by unsanctioned devices. Wow. Amazing. Well, we've come to the end of our, our second segment. We're talking about information security and all the threats that are out there. Um, I hope our incident management and crisis management teams are listening to all this stuff. Um, and we're talking with Jason Maynard, and we'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. If you or somebody you love is dealing with an addiction to alcohol or drugs, you may be looking for all kinds of answers. Let Recovery Radio with host Zach Crouch be your guide. Zach Crouch will speak with experts and share personal stories of addiction recovery. You'll also learn what's beyond the surface of mental health, root causes of addiction, and more. Most importantly, we'll explore the solutions and treatments to get you back on track. Recovery Radio. New episodes are available every Friday on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We're talking with Jason Maynard. We're talking about all kinds of uh, information security threats out there and uh, certainly opening our eyes uh, to a few things. Jason, I know we had a big, long list of uh, things we wanted to talk about, but since we're in our last segment, I really want to jump to one that uh, you want to talk about, uh, and that's social engineering. Can you explain what that is? And I know you've got a good example uh, here as well. Yeah, so social engineering is something that is used um, uh, to convince an individual um, to do something, right? So, for example, Alex, if I was an, uh, an adversary and I knew that you are big on, you know, business continuity, um, you know, if I wrote an email that talked a lot about business continuity and maybe had some good links in there and some PDFs, um, that, that, that's a good way of me getting you to click or open some of those things, right? Mm-hmm. But social engineering is interesting because um, they come in all different forms. And, and so far, we've, we've talked about things like, you know, email or um, a file attachment or a USB key. Um, but recently, I, I, I got a call on my phone and it claimed that they were from Microsoft. I don't know, Alex, if you've ever experienced anything like that, but I'll walk through what I did during this uh, particular episode. Uh, but um, have you ever experienced anything like that where they call you? And it's interesting, too, because even, even things like the bank or some of the uh, um, credit card uh, companies, they'll call you and say, hi, um, I'm calling da 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 and uh, I just want to validate that I'm talking to Jason Maynard. 
And, mm-hmm. um, and then they'll say, can you validate a couple of things for me? Right. And, and I never mm-hmm. do, um, because maybe they just need one more piece of information to get everything that they need to be able to, um, basically clone you. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I never do, but a lot of times they'll call up and say, can you validate this? Can you validate this? And you're thinking, wait a minute, you called me. Yeah. Right. So, so recently what happened, Alex, I, I got a call and they claimed they were from Microsoft and they said, your machine isn't in, uh, infected. And I said, Oh, really? And it was Friday night. And I know this is pretty sad, but this is, you know, the life of an engineer that's focused on security, right? Um, I thought, what a great opportunity to record this and maybe capture a video. So what I did was I created a virtual instance. So this is just a, you know, a self-contained box of uh, an operating system. And I, I delayed them a little bit um, to get um, this up and running and, so wh- while I did that, I tried to establish that I wasn't very knowledgeable, in, especially around computers. So since they worked for um, Microsoft, or remember, this is a scam, so they didn't really work for Microsoft, um, I asked them if they knew Bill Gates, right? Uh, and this was a delay tactic <laughs> for me to get my systems up and running so I can start the recording and, and everything else. And they said, yeah, of course, we, we know uh, Bill Gates. He's our boss. Um, but he's retired now, they said. And I said, well, that's, that's good. Um, did you meet him? And they said, yeah, you know, they, you know, met him. And I thought that was pretty interesting. And then I heard a lot of background noise. And I mean a lot. Like, like this was a full-fledged operating call center, right? And so I asked them, I said, where is this being called at? Well, we're, I think they said they're called out of uh, India. Uh, at least the accent sounded that way. Um, and I believe that he did uh, confirm that. But they, and I said, look, I'm hearing a lot of background noise. He goes, yeah, this is a big problem, right? There's a lot of infected machines out there. So as they went along, hmm. they asked me to connect to a website. So I did. And again, I'm, I'm recording all of this. And then they started to go through my machines. So they went in and they started looking at certain elements in the machine. And for a normal user, they're showing me things like foreign address. And they're saying that these are the, this is the adversary connected to you. And I said, well, who's the adversary? And they said, well, it's China, Pakistan, and Russia, right? And I said, wow, mm-hmm. they're on my machine? And they said, yes. And, and then they said, they, there was some small talk and said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm an accountant and uh, I, I'm retired. Um, and the reason why I picked accountant, because I'm good with numbers and I understand value. So if they can show me value, you know, and cost, then maybe I would buy it. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I wanted them to think I had a little bit of money too. So anyways, the conversation continued. They're connected to my machine, Alex, at this point, And the worst possible thing could happen for me. My uh, connection from my phone disconnected the conversation. And I'm like, no, like, I want to capture this. This is awesome stuff. So what I decided to do was open up Notepad in that virtual instance, and I started talking to them through Notepad. In short, what happened was he went through my machine, and he showed me all these errors in Windows and Windows and, and things like that, all uh, benign, right, for the most part. Nothing to do because my machine wasn't compromised. And um, at the end of it, he said, well, here, this is what you need. And they escalated three times. So it looked very mature in the, in, in the sense that you had, a, you know, analyst one, analyst two, and analyst three. 
looking at your system. So this is about 35 minutes, maybe 40 minutes. And near the end, what they said was, go to this site. How long do you want this protection that they were going to sell me that would stop the bad guys from getting into my machine? And I said, forever. I want this forever. And uh, so they showed me and they said, connect and use your credit card information. And as I started filling it out, obviously, I would never put my credit card information. I went back into Notepad and I said, you know what? I'm just going to throw this thing away. I'm retired. I really don't want to do anything with computers anymore. This is too much work. And they got mad. And so what they did was they went into my machine and there's something called SysKey. And what that does is um, that boots up the system and you need a password even before you get into Windows, right? Or the, the operating system and the login screen. And they put in a password. They didn't share that with me. And then they force rebooted my machine. So for an average, an average user, my machine was unusable at that point. Wow. But that was, again, they were pretending to be somebody. They were trying to social engineer me into believing that they were helping me, but they were trying to con me out of some money. And, and they were going to sell me some, some software, whether it worked or not, who knows. But they tried to trick me into buying that software. Well, that, that same, not exactly the same situation, but I did have, <clears throat> excuse me, I did have a, a situation with my uh, laptop not my home uh, computer system, but my laptop, where I had a warning come up, and then all of a sudden my phone rang and said, you know, we've got a uh, uh, the same kind of thing, that your, uh, your laptop is uh, infected, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they, they wanted me to uh, go to certain sites and, you know, eventually got to the point where, you know, if you want this fixed, you know, we, we can fix it for you, but you, you got to pay for it. And I, but they were sounding kind of desperate, like trying to push me without really answering any questions I had. Like, how did this happen? You know, I, I don't do any banking or I don't access sites. It's strictly for, you know, my writing and things like that. That's the only thing I use it for. So how did this happen? You know, and they didn't really want to answer that. They just kept asking questions about finances and credit cards. And eventually I just said, you know what, this sounds fishy. No, no pun intended. You know, yeah. I said, this, this yeah. sounds fishy. And I hung up and just said, no, forget it. And I talked to a friend of mine. He says, yeah, I'll just reboot your machine and the whole thing will go away. And it did. <laughs> yeah, it, it is scary because they are sophisticated. So they make you believe. And, and the scary thing about this is there, there's the, the corporate side, right? And, and, and so we get that. But we're talking average home users and at, at, certain, um, at certain ages, right? So the, the elderly are being targeted. Right. And they're 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 making payments and 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 uh, thinking that, you know, somebody's doing something uh, that's supposedly helping them, but it's just manipulating them into the paying uh, for something that they may never need. Um, and then it's, you know, everything in between. So it, it, to me, it's it's pretty scary that, uh, you know, that's out there and people are falling for it and and and, and not necessarily um based on them not understanding it's 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 that sophisticated right like mm-hmm. said, usb keys were delivered at a, a security conference a hundred of them and that's a security conference and 116 or 166 connected back and these are people that know right so yeah. um so imagine if you don't have that insight it's like like i said earlier if my car makes noises i don't know what it is i might think it's fine and continue to drive it right where a mechanic, if that was his car or her car, they would jump in and say, what are you doing, right? You don't drive it yeah. when it does that. Yeah. 
So I know you from working with you. I know you've been a part of some of these security response teams or you know incident response teams, whatever name you want to give them. What would be your suggestion with you know people like me in business continuity or disaster recovery type type roles? You know, what do you have to say about you know incident plans and things like that to address these kind of things? Do you have any insight you want to share with that? For you know, we've got a couple of minutes left. Yeah. So. Uh, I think here's, here's, and we didn't get into some of these things. So, so I, I think I just seen, I, I can't remember the site that um, uh, published these numbers, but just to put things in perspective, um, cyber skills shortage um, currently in, 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 I think in the U.S. is 350,000 people, right? And I think in the, in, in, in worldwide by 2021, it's 3.5 million people short for, for cybersecurity skill sets. So if you're not in cybersecurity and you're listening to this, Maybe you want to jump on, on, on that bandwagon. But um, so there's a huge or tremendous skill gap, right? That, that's number one. Um, two is a lot of organizations, exactly to your point, don't have an instant response plan. So, so you certainly want to go out and develop and mature that. But a lot of times you don't have the skill sets. You don't even have the skill sets to defend, never mind, you know, looking at the after side of an attack where you have to do something like incident response. So what I'm seeing a lot of companies do is they're looking for organizations to provide instant response capabilities. So what they'll do is they'll go in and, and, and purchase a, an instant response retainer where uh, they work with an organization or a partner and they come in and they help build that instant response uh, program for them. They do tabletop exercises, red team and blue team exercises. For those that don't mm-hmm. know, red team is the adversary, blue team is the defender, right? So they go through those mock mm-hmm. scenarios. Um, but most organizations are looking at, uh, you know, the, that IR retainer to bring in that specialized skill set for an incident that takes place. And there's, uh, and, and to work with their internal teams, but there's a little bit of, uh, uh, I, I guess, insurance that they have this in place for if an, an incident uh, um, takes place. Well, we've almost come to the end of our um, our last segment, you know, the show. I've got less than two minutes. Is there any uh, last comments you want to make about uh, you know security and for our listeners out there? Well, I think um, it, security as a whole is is complex. It's as I mentioned, it's organic and fluid and, and continues to. Um, challenge anybody, whether you are, you know, on the red team doing some of the penetration testing, whether you're building programs as a CISO, whether you're on the blue team, right, um, and defending against it. Uh, security is mainstream now, finally. When, back in the day when I, when I started in my career, everyone always said, oh, we'll never be hacked, right? Now you, you hear mm-hmm. that a lot less. We still hear it a little bit. So if you don't have a security program in place, I would certainly consider um, starting to build one and make sure that you have some of the basic defensive capabilities in place and, and make sure that you're training your users around cybersecurity awareness. Well, uh, we've come to the end of our show. Jason, thank you very much for your insight. I know there's a whole bunch of stuff we uh, didn't really touch on, so maybe we'll t- touch base after and uh, maybe get you back on the show to fill in some of these other bits that we talked about, uh, we're going to talk about. So thank you very much for sharing your insight on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Alex, for having me. It was fun. And a reminder to everybody out there, 
Uh, I will be at the CRT conference in Toronto, May 29th and 30th. Um, again, we'll try and get some speakers on the show. And in the meantime, everybody, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.